If you're visiting with us, uh, you should know that we have a uh, special weekend this weekend is our youth rally, and so uh, that's why things may look a little different to you, but you might not even know it looks different because you're just uh, visiting. Uh, and so we've had uh, two services, so we've spent some time together with uh, the families and with the youth who have been a part of that uh, youth rally. And so if you saw a, a horde, like would look like a gang of children, uh, those are the ones that were here. And uh, Lord willing, they're safely on their way uh, back to their, their homes now. Um, but we, as we've been going through the youth rally, you can see the poster up there. Our, our message has been, been go in all different aspects of go. And so we'll be looking this morning um, at what's commonly known as the Great Commission out of Matthew chapter 28. For most Christians, I would liken the Great Commission, this text, to a colonoscopy. It's one of those things that once you hit 50 and every 10 years, it's just something you have to do. You know, it's good for you. It's healthy to be a part of it, but it doesn't seem like the doctor really enjoys the process, nor do you really enjoy the process very much at all. And I hear grumblings. Oh, great commission. Just like I hear grumblings when people talk about the colonoscopy. And, and a part of it I, I get and I understand. Who really wants this morning to be convinced to quit your job? To sell your house, to buy plane tickets to who knows where, and to move over there. And so, likely, you have already decided before this sermon even happens, it really doesn't matter what Craig says, I'm just not going to listen anyways. And then, what if I did manage to actually convince someone to do that? What does the church community do with that person? Most likely, what would happen is everybody else would say, you're crazy, don't do that. Because it makes all of the rest of us feel guilt. It seems like when we talk about the Great Commission, what happens is a lot of guilt just gets heaped all over the place. It's almost like the preacher and preacher training school. You think we're trained to, you know, this is one of those times you get that little gun and you put those little guilt bullets in it and you just start firing away. What about you and you and you? And everyone just feels terrible when it's all over and done with. But what if Jesus was trying to do something that make us all feel miserable. What if, what if John Acuff is off base? This is what he says. He's a Christian comedian. And he says, if it is a well-known Christian fact that if you surrender your life to God, if you really turn over your hopes and dreams to him and give him control of your entire life, that the first thing he's going to do is to send you to Africa immediately. And so it goes on to offer a warning to those who might dare give their lives completely to God. Our youth rally emphasis has been go. And now here we find that Jesus tells the disciples to go. And when we think about go, we often associate it with a specific geographic region. And if there's ever a discussion about how far is far enough to go to be in obedience to the Great Commission, usually the tiebreaker is, well, if you have to get on a plane, that's probably far enough. But if you can drive there, well, maybe that's not even really far enough to be a part of the Great Commission. You see, we sometimes, I think, apply the text this way. Question of who goes, well, it has to be you. 
And so it becomes my job to kind of shake you out of your normal, everyday reality and shake you into some sort of great commission, a super disciple of obedience. And where is it you go? Well, it just has to be somewhere far, far away because we know the gospel is to go to all the nations. So get on a plane and go somewhere. And what is it that you do when you get to this unknown place? Well, you're involved in baptizing and you're involved in teaching. And when you do this, when you obey all of these things talked about in Matthew chapter 28, you get a special name. You're called a missionary. And missionaries get their gold stars because they have been the ones who have been obedient to the Great Commission. But I think there's a problem with that understanding. See, if we return to our text, we find in the 16th verse here that Jesus is speaking to the 11 disciples. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a situation where you can grade how one of the disciples was obedient or not to the Great Commission in terms of how we've understood it. So we'll use the example of James. James, who is the brother of John, would have clearly been one of these 11 who heard Jesus say these words, go and make disciples of all nations. And so the question, who should go? The answer, of course, should be James. You should go. And where do you need to go? Well, certainly somewhere outside of Israel. Where is it that we find the the nations? Typically the word for the Gentiles. Well, they're going to be outside of Israel. So go and leave Israel and make disciples. We find James in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, he goes to Jerusalem. If you're not very good with geography, that's not outside of Israel. And we find James again in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, where he was still in Jerusalem, and he is now killed by King Herod, and so he's done. Question is, what kind of a grade do you give James for his obedience to the Great Commission? Does he get an A, a B, a C, a D, or does he get an F? Because he never left his home, despite the fact that Jesus commissioned him. What are we to do with these disciples? Even there's an interesting text in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, That day a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. Don't you find that interesting? The very Jesus who said to those 11 who will later be called apostles, get out of here. When the church starts to spread, who are the only ones who stay? These apostles to whom they received the Great Commission. So either we have to conclude we have misunderstood what Jesus is talking about with the Great Commission, or these 11 just simply decided, well, despite what Jesus has done, we are not going to participate in the Great Commission. See, I think if we look a little bit more closely at the text, we're going to find out where the emphasis is and where the real call and command is for us today. In order to get there, we do have to go through a little bit of boring grammar. In the 19th verse, there is one command. In the Greek form, it's called an imperative, and that one thing that is commanded is to make disciples. In that text, there are also three. They're called participles, which means they are things that hang on or depend on the command. And the three words in verse 19 that are participles are going, baptizing, teaching. In other words, these bottom three things become the means by which we reach the aim or the thing that is commanded. So what is it that we are commanded to do? We are commanded to make disciples. And how is it that we will make disciples? It is in the process of going and baptizing and teaching. At the very least, it should call us to reevaluate 
the term missionary. Instead of a missionary being a person who relocates to a new geographic region, a missionary instead should be a person who is making disciples. And when you take away the geographic element, we come to find out, therefore then, almost everyone who is a disciple is also a missionary. This great commission is not reserved for a few select people who will be willing to go overseas, but it is for all Christians who make disciples. This may be by going across the street, and it may be by going around the world. It is not the geography that is the emphasis here. It is taking the gospel everywhere and anywhere. You can make disciples at your place of work. You can make disciples when you participate in hobbies like sports and other events. You can make disciples when you go to the grocery store. And you can make disciples when you go to Africa. The problem with how we've commonly understood the Great Commission is we've said, this is something I may do in the future. But the Great Commission calling is for this to be something that is a part of all of our lives beginning at the moment we choose to be disciples ourselves. So here's a, a Great Commission test I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give you a setting, and then we're going to ask when this imaginary individual, Victor, when he becomes a missionary. Okay, so we have Victor who lives in Billings. While he's a part of his school, and he's at sports, and he's at home, he shines the light of Jesus, and he tells people about Jesus. Victor is convinced that this very day at the Billings Youth Rally that he is going to move to Mozambique after college graduation. And so then Victor moves off to Bozeman, and while he's there in Bozeman with his school and his sports and in his home, he shines the light of Jesus and he tells people about Jesus. He graduates and then, in fact, he moves to Mozambique where he interacts with the town and with the church and his home, and he shines the light of Jesus and he tells people about Jesus. The question is this, when did he become a missionary. When did he live in obedience to the Great Commission? I would say in number one, A. It's not that it was something to be done in the future that's associated with a geographic region, but it's something to be done and to be obeyed right now. And as Victor goes from place to place, wherever he is, he makes disciples. Now, you may object and you may say, Craig, I've read the Gospels enough to know there's an awful lot of call there to leave behind and to relocate, to consider even new careers. And we will find that in discipleship there are different demands from different people on different levels. So yes, we look at the life of Jesus in the ministry. And the most often aspect is this aspect of leaving behind. So when Jesus calls Simon, Peter, James, and John, what did they have to do? They had to leave their boats behind. And then whenever Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector, he had to do what? He had to leave that tax booth behind. Even in the 8th chapter of Matthew, in the 19th verse, a scribe came and he approached Jesus. He said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so we say, okay, discipleship means, you know, leaving your job, leaving your home, and all those certain aspects and elements. And if that were the only form of discipleship, when we get to Acts, we would find this frequent call that people are living in cities to leave those cities, people who are working at jobs to leave those jobs, that would be coming up time and time again in Acts, but it's something very different. When we get to Acts, we find out that discipleship is lived in the context of daily life. 
Those who have jobs, in fact, in the book of Thessalonians, that's the whole thing. You have people leaving jobs, and Paul's whole point is stay at your jobs. Work peaceably. Work with your hands. Those who are in marriages is the, is the command, well, just leave your spouses behind and go wander off. And No, it's, it's telling us about how to live healthy Christian lives. I think about this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. We meet them in the 18th chapter of Acts, where they are in Corinth. So beginning in verse 2, it says, There in Corinth he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. So notice, they're now away from home. They are from Rome, but there was a, an edict. Essentially, Claudius said, You know what? I'm tired of all you Jewish people fighting over this man named Christus, so if you're Jewish, leave. Now, the argument over Christus is the evolution of Christianity, this coming of what is Judaism's relationship with Christ. So they're all sent away. So now you have Aquila and Priscilla no longer living in Rome, but they live in Corinth. Okay. And the reason they went there was not because they're like, oh, I've met those pagan people in Corinth. They need the gospel. They simply were kicked out of home. But as they went, what did they do? They took the gospel with them. And so we find an example of that in, uh, in Acts chapter 18, verse 26, where Paulus is, uh, Paulus is speaking. He says, And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. And so these are people who are teaching the fullness of Scripture. Remember, Jesus said the Great Commission is teaching them to obey some of what I have commanded you. No, actually, I think it says all, doesn't it, right? So they're to teach them. So these are people who are living in obedience to the Great Commission. They're living in a city that they relocated because they were kicked out of their homes. They're working as tent makers. And I would say in Rome, they were missionaries. And in Corinth, they were missionaries. In both places, they were obedient to the Great Commission. See, disciples are being called to live in the context of wherever they are as those who make disciples. And so we do find that there are then two main ways disciples live in obedience to the Great Commission. The first is through normal geographic movement by Christian disciples. Paul, when he writes to the church in Rome in his opening introduction, he says in the 10th verse, um, he prays that I may somehow at last succeed in coming to you. Which means Paul's never been to Rome. It makes an awful lot of people scratch their heads and say, well, who planted the church in Rome? Where did that come from? The, the best answer probably comes out of Acts 2. Remember Pentecost, and you have all of these people who have come to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And here's the group who Peter preached that first sermon to. The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. What do you think happened when those people came to Jerusalem from Rome and they went back home? What's now in their backpack that comes with them? This message about Jesus the Messiah. And so as they returned to their home regions, they took that message and they made disciples. Some of them were returning to the very places they were before, but the gospel went along with them. I wonder if we could learn to see the Great Commission as connected to any movement we have anywhere. You're going to basketball practice. You're taking the Great Commission with you. You have a job transfer from Billings to Bozeman, and what are you doing? You are taking the Great Commission 
with you. You have switched from one school, a middle school, to a high school. You go taking the Great Commission with you. You have children who have moved somewhere, and you go and you move to live in that same place. And as you go, you take the Great Commission with you. See, God is using all the natural movements of everyday life, and he's saying wherever you go, in the process of going, take the Great Commission and make disciples there with you. But we do see that there are also some who, through intentional geographic dispersion, are appointed disciples to take the message to specific areas. Best example of that's probably Paul. When Paul was called in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument for whom I have chosen to bring my name before the Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. So we have this specific commissioning to go into these regions where the Gentiles are. We have also another example in Acts chapter 13. Now the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the rule, and the ruler of Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So notice what happens in Acts 13. There are some who are stayers and there are some who are goers. So which are obedient to the Great Commission? Is it the stayers or the goers? Both. Because there is a great commission work of making disciples to be done by both. And so we come to find that some were goers, some were stayers, but all were great commission disciple makers. I liken the relationship to a person who, if they worked at a car manufacturing place, you ask them what they do, and they say, well, I make Nissan Sentras. Well, actually what they're doing is they're putting bolts on tires to put them on cars, but they're part of the process of what? Building something. And then they might say, and we ship these Nissan centers all over the world, even though that person has never left their home factory where they work. You see, what is happening is there's a direction for the entire company to move in a direction, and everyone is playing a role. Some will stay some will go as salesmen, some will go and make manufacturing parts, but all of them are a part of the same work. See, the Great Commission is the call for the message to be sent all over the world, but not necessarily for every Christian to go everywhere outside of their geographic region. But the call is for all people to be missionaries wherever they go. See, perhaps this is the most confusing way to say it, but here's a way. Staying disciples are also going disciples. Does that make your head spin? Staying disciples are also going disciples. So you say, okay, well, I'm a staying disciple. That does not mean you outsource the work of making disciples. It simply means as you go about your life, staying in your own geographic region, you are making disciples in the process just like those who've moved to a new place. So we find that everywhere we go, we participate in this process. And so what I want to do is to just give you three simple challenges of how you can begin this process in your own life. And I recognize that we'll find ourselves with all sort of spectrums in terms of, uh, there are some folks, you put them out in public and they're gonna talk to every single person they see. And there are other folks who they just, uh, you know, they'll hide behind whatever they can find. But all of us are to be a part of this process. And I think that the first step of this is just simply interacting with people when we're going. To realize every time I leave my home, and even when I'm in my home amongst my own family, God has something for me. 
God has good news for me. And so this was the encouragement I gave to, um, to the young people, and I think they can apply to us. Um, the, the first is headphones. Have you, ever, have you ever noticed there's an increasing number of people starting to put headphones in? I, we just recently were back in New Guinea, and that's the thing that shocked me the most is New Guinea used to be a place on the street you meet and talk to people all the time. And guess what's come about? Headphones. Now, headphones, in case you don't know this, headphones are code for don't talk to me. You'll hear teenagers. I remember talking to someone. She's like, I go to the coffee shop. I don't even put music on. I just put headphones in. It's not even plugged in anything, but I just don't want anyone to talk to me. And there are times and places. There are times and places where we do that. At the beginning of this year, whenever I go to the Y, I listen to music when I'm on the treadmill or whatever. But I've made a commitment. Whenever I'm going from the treadmill to the locker room or back, I'm not wearing headphones. That way I'm at least giving God an opportunity. If there's somebody you want me to interact with, if there's a conversation that I need to have in between going from place to place, Father, I'm going to give you that opportunity. I'm not going to close myself off from everyone. So be conscious of those times whenever you say, I want nothing to do with you. Because anytime we go somewhere, what are we? We're missionaries called to be making disciples. Be conscientious of what you're doing with your phone in groups of people. If you go places today where there's a lot of waiting, like an airport, uh, you will find that this is what's happening almost everywhere. And it inhibits our ability to have conversations with people. And so at least, at the very least, if we put our phones away, that, that, that creates an opportunity for a conversation. Creates an opportunity for God to do something. Perhaps those waiting times in our lives are the times when God most wants to use us. Um, I, I heard somebody say once, you know the difference that could be made for the gospel if Christians would just put away their phones in the grocery store line? We're waiting there, and God may have an opportunity for someone for us to interact with. And the second and the third here is, is that stores and at restaurants see people as people, not just employees. Well, learn to look people in the eye when you're uh, checking out of the grocery store, when you're, when you're interacting with a, a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant. Notice something they're doing well and just be an encouragement to them. Now, for some of you, this might be little leagues. You might be saying, I've been doing this since I was 12 years old, and I also have a Bible study step every time within five minutes of the conversation starting. Well, good for you. Good for you. Keep it up. But for others, even just saying hello to someone might just be a Herculean thing. But it's the small things done faithfully over a long period of time that I believe God gives, gives God the greatest opportunity to use us. Now, before we finish this sermon on the Great Commission, one thing that I've neglected, and I wonder if we've even noticed it, because as we hear the Great Commission, we focus so much on what it is that we are to do that we sometimes forget that all of this is anchored in what God has already done through Jesus Christ and what God will do. You notice we've talked a lot in our congregation about sandwiches, where these things belong together. I mean, imagine eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without the bread. It'd be a little difficult to keep that all together. And in the same way, we have to imagine the Great Commission without the work of Jesus happening. It doesn't. So how does it begin? It begins with this declaration of power. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, where we go and what we do, it is not based on our power or our authority. It is based on the fact that everywhere we go, it's already God's property. And Jesus has authority over that person and over authority over that region. So we see it's connected to that because it says, so, so therefore... 
And every time you see a therefore, you have to ask, what is it there for? It's an, so in light of what Jesus has done, we can now go. Because he has authority, we now have the opportunity to go and make disciples. But then the finish is connected also with what Jesus has done because there's promise. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the instruction is connected both to the front part and to the back part. Also remember, so look back as you're doing this. Remember, you're not going by yourself. Have you ever been asked to do something that you thought was too hard for you? When I was a kid, this is what I'd do. Dad, can you come with me? You know, you break a neighbor's uh, window. You got to go apologize. What do you want? Dad, come with me. And then you're hoping he just talks the whole time and you just kind of slink away and before realizes, dad realizes he did the whole apology. I mean, that's what you're really hoping for. But it's having the presence of your father with you. And that's what Jesus is reminding you. You're doing this. You're doing it based on the authority that Jesus Christ has. And don't forget, he's with you everywhere we go. See, I think if we are to be participating in the Great Commission, it is simply not focusing so much on a specific geography, but on this aspect of making disciples wherever we go. And so my prayer is that God will open the door for you this week. As you're going. Going where? I don't know. But as you're going, that that's an opportunity for God to give you the blessing and opportunity as you're going to be teaching. And Lord willing to be baptizing. Now, one of the things that we recognize, if we're going to make disciples, we need to first be disciples. If we ourselves have not submitted fully to all of the teachings of Jesus Christ, then that's our first step in the process. Submitting our lives to Christ as disciples. And once we become disciples, we then become disciples who reproduce, who continue to make disciples. And so if you've not yet given your life, this morning would be an opportunity to do so in the waters of baptism. Let me offer a blessing and then we'll offer an invitation. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And this great benediction that Paul offers at the end of 2 Corinthians, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. If you want to respond in any way, I'll be in the back. Uh, some of our elders will be back there. If you want someone to pray with, if you want to talk about committing your life as a disciple, uh, come and find us in the back while we stand and while we sing.